All right, well, we're there in 1 Samuel chapter 18. I'd like you to keep your place there. That is our text for this morning. But I'd like you to go with me just real quickly to the book of Exodus. It's the second book in the Bible. It should be fairly easy to find. You've got Genesis and then the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter number 34. And last week, we started a brand new sermon series called Satisfied, and we're learning about contentment, cultivating a culture of contentment. If you remember last week, we talked about the grass is always greener and this mentality that things are always better somewhere else. And we learned last week, and I won't re-preach last week's sermon to you, but we learned that the reason that there is a grass always greener mentality is because there's always something to complain about. There's always something to, uh, uh, to, to compare with, and there's always something to covet after. And we gave you some steps in regards to how to deal with the uh, urge to want to complain, and we talked about that. This week, we are going to be talking about the green-eyed monster. Now, we're, we're learning about this idea of contentment, and uh, the reason that we are going through spending three weeks learning how to be satisfied in our lives is because so many of us are living dissatisfied lives. We are discontented, and we are dissatisfied, and you don't have to live that way, and God doesn't want you to live that way. And today, I want to speak to you on the subject of envy, and the sermon is called The Green-Eyed Monsters. Is a, we're, we're kind of using these uh, well-known phrases. Uh, last week, we talked about the, green, uh, the grass is always greener. Today, we're talking about the green-eyed monster. Next week, we're going to talk about keeping up with the Joneses and uh, that idea that we have to constantly be in competition uh, with other people. The green-eyed monster, you may have heard uh, that phrase before. The expression was actually coined by Shakespeare in his uh, play called Othello, and that is where Iago says, Oh, beware, my lord, of jealousy. It is the green-eyed monster which doth mock the meat uh, it feeds on. And from this phrase, this, since that time, this has been a phrase that's been used uh, to talk about envy. Whenever you are uh, being attacked by envy, they'll say you are being attacked by the green-eyed monster. We'll also use this term uh, when someone is green with envy. It all comes from this idea. And I want to begin, first of all, by kind of just explaining to you uh, what envy is biblically. And, and really, just before we jump into our story and, and start developing it, uh, explain to you the difference between envy and jealousy in Scripture. Now, today in our society, those words will be used synonymously. And you might think of uh, someone who's jealous and someone who's envious as the same thing. In the Bible, however, though they are similar in regards to how you may feel about something, they are different. One is uh, justified and one is unjustified. One is positive and one is negative. And you may not be aware of that, so I'd like to just show you that from Scripture as we begin. In the Bible, jealousy is justified, and jealousy is actually a positive thing. And you say, well, how can that be? And here's why. Because the Bible uses the word jealousy whenever it is directed towards something that belongs to you, that is yours, that you have the right to be jealous about. Let me just give you some examples. You're there in Exodus 34. Look down at verse number 14. Exodus chapter 34 and verse 14, the Bible says this, For thou shalt worship no other God. Now notice the context. God is telling his people that they are not to worship any other idols or any other gods in place of him. Notice what he says. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. The Bible here tells us that one of the names of God is Jealous, and he is a jealous God. And he was jealous of his people when he commanded them not to worship other gods. And I want you to notice here, look, God is holy. God does not sin. 
yet God is jealous. So jealousy, biblically speaking, when we think about jealousy or envy by uh, the way that the words are used today, they're used synonymously. But I want you to notice that when you come across the word jealous in Scripture, it's a positive thing. It's a justified thing. The Bible says that the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God, and He is jealous over His people. He is jealous of His people, and He does not want His people worshiping other gods. Let me give you another example. You're there in Exodus. Go to Numbers. You're going to go past the book of Leviticus into the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 5. Numbers chapter 5 and verse 14. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Numbers chapter 5 and verse 14. Here we see the word jealousy again in relationships of, of a husband and wife. Notice what the Bible says. Says, Numbers chapter 5 and verse 14, and the spirit of jealousy come upon him, and he be jealous of his wife, and she be defiled, or if the spirit of jealousy come upon him, and he be jealous of his wife, and she be not defiled. And again, I'm not going to develop the context here, and there's a whole story there, but we see here that the Bible is telling us that uh, uh, this man is jealous over his wife. He is jealous of his wife. He doesn't want her talking or uh, being with any other man. He's jealous over her. And in the Bible, this is a positive term. Look, husbands should be jealous over their wives. And God should be jealous over his people. And it is a justified thing. It is a positive thing. However, in the Bible, the word envy is a negative thing. Let me show that to you. If, if you kept your place there in 1 Samuel, we're going to go back to there because that's our text for this morning. But if you kept your place there in 1 Samuel, I'd like you to find the book of Proverbs. Now, the easiest way to do that is if you open your Bible just right in the center, you'll more than likely fall in the book of Psalms. Right after the book of Psalms, you have the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 14, and look at verse number 30. Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 30. If you kept your place in 1 Samuel, you just want to go 1 2 Samuel, 1 2 Kings, 1 2 Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, and then the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 14 and verse 30. Notice what the Bible says. A sound heart is the life of the flesh. But envy, the rottenness of the bones. The Bible says that envy will rot you from inside. It'll corrupt you. It is the rottenness of the bones. You say, well, what is the difference between uh, jealousy and envy? Jealousy is towards something that uh, is, belongs to you. It is justified. That's my wife. That's my husband. Those are my children, right? God would say, that's my people. Envy is the same feeling, but towards something that doesn't belong to you. Somebody else's wife, somebody else's husband, somebody else's uh, house, somebody else's uh, children. Go to Proverbs 23. Look at verse number 17. And the Bible speaks very negatively about envy. So as you read the Bible, as you study the Bible, I want you to notice the difference that you'll see the word jealousy. It's always justified. God, in fact, most of the time you see the word jealousy, it's God being jealous over his people. The word envy is always negative. It's rottenness of the bones. It will destroy your life. Proverbs 23 and verse 17 says this, Let not thine heart, here's a command. God is saying, don't allow your heart to envy sinners. He says, let not thine heart envy sinners, but be thou in the fear of the Lord all the day long. So we see that envy is negative, jealousy is positive. Jealousy is justified, envy is unjustified or unjustifiable. Go back to 1 Samuel 18. So here's what I would like to do today. I'd like us to learn how to identify and defeat envy. To identify and defeat the green-eyed monster that makes us green with envy, that makes us envy others. And here's the, and here's the thing. You say, why do we have to begin with identifying envy? Because of the fact that many of us are, uh, are in denial about envy. 
We are suffering from the green-eyed monster, but yet we deny it. We put our, uh, uh, our head in the sand and we try to pretend that it's something else, that it's something different. And I'd like to show you from Scripture how you can identify the green-eyed monster. Because here's what you need to know. If you are suffering from the green-eyed monster, if you are green with envy, if you are under the attack of the green-eyed monster, you say, how can I know that? How can I understand that? And I want to show it to you because we see these characteristics in a very famous narrative in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 18. If you'd make your way back there, 1 Samuel 18. You, of course, know the famous story of David and Goliath. <clears throat> David, excuse me. David uh, uh, killed and slew Goliath, and he becomes an instant uh, superstar. He becomes an instant uh, hero. He becomes an instant, you know, household name. <clears throat> and, of course... In uh, 1 Samuel 18, at the end of 1 Samuel 17, we see the story of the interaction between, uh, between David and King Saul. And in 1 Samuel 18, we see what happens when they come back from the great victory that began as uh, David slew Goliath. Notice verse number 6, 1 Samuel 18 and verse 6. Notice what the Bible says, 1 Samuel 18 and verse 6. And it came to pass as they came... When David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistines, remember, they were able to slaughter the Philistines because of the fact that David slew Goliath. Now, when Goliath was alive, the people were all, the, the people of God were cowarding against the Philistines. But when David stepped out and slew Goliath, then they got boldness and they were able to go and fight the battle and they were able to win that battle. Now they have come, came back from the slaughter of the Philistines. Notice verse 6 that the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing. Everybody's rejoicing. They just had a great victory. They were just able to uh, uh, beat out their enemies that they were afraid was going to destroy their homes and their families and their livelihoods. And the women come out of all the cities singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tabrets, with joy, and with instruments of music. Notice, they are there to meet uh, King Saul. Why? Because Saul is their leader. Because Saul is the king. Because Saul is the man that God has chosen. The man that God has anointed. Uh, to put in that place of leadership. Verse 7, And the women answered one another as they played and said, Saul has slain his thousands. Now look, here's the truth. There's no way that Saul, Saul had killed a thousand people. Okay, killing a thousand people is going to take a lot, of, a lot of work, a lot of energy, a lot of effort, and a lot of time. This is hyperbole. They are just exaggerating, and they are praising God, and they are excited over the victory, and their women are singing, and they're singing, Saul has slain his thousands. And then notice the second line of the song, and David his ten thousands. Now, of course, David is the man of the hour. He just killed Goliath. He just wrought a great victory. And they are praising their leader, Saul. They're saying, Saul has slain his thousand, and David his ten thousand. Notice verse 8. And Saul was very wroth, and the saying displeased him. Now, what saying displeased Saul? I'm sure it wasn't the part about Saul has slain his thousands. The part that displeased Saul was that they were attributing to David his ten thousands. And here's what I'd like you to understand. You say, Pastor Jimenez, how can I know if I am being attacked by the green-eyed monster, if I'm, being, if I'm suffering from the green-eyed monster, if I'm green with envy, how can I identify that in my life? And if you're writing down notes, I'd like you to write this statement out, and I'd encourage you to write down some notes on the back of your course of the week. There's a place for you to write things down. You know you are suffering from the green-eyed monster when it upsets you that others are succeeding around you. 
You know that you are suffering from envy, that you're green with envy when it bothers you that there are other people around you that are succeeding, that are winning, that are accomplishing great things, and that are having great uh, victories in their lives. See, Saul was suffering from the green-eyed monster because, yes, he had slain his thousands, but it bothered him that David has slain his ten thousands. And look, isn't this true? I mean, look, if we were honest with each other and we weren't going to judge each other or be critical of each other, wouldn't you, wouldn't you uh, 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 admit to the fact that there is something in human beings, there is something in our human nature that just kind of bothers us when the other guy gets the promotion, when they buy a house, when they pull up in a new car, when God has blessed them in some way or shape or form, there's something in all of us, and don't you hate it? I mean, doesn't it bother you that sometimes, you know, when you hear that someone else has good news, that someone else has, has gotten something, that, that God has been good to them, that God has blessed them, that God has been there for them, when you hear the singing and the praises of David has slain his 10,000, there's just something in our human nature that kind of makes us wroth and displeased. And if you were honest, if you're honest, you would agree to the fact that there's something in all of us that from time to time upsets us when others are succeeding around you. And, and, and all you need to know is this. When that happens, realize that you are under attack of the green-eyed monster. You might be turning green with envy. It might be envy that is overtaking your life. I remember the, uh, the, not the first time, I'm sure it's not the first time, but I remember a very clear time in my life when I realized this inside of me. And, I, and I'll, I'll make myself a little vulnerable and, and, and tell you this story, and hopefully you won't judge me too harshly, and hopefully you'll be, uh, you'll, you'll, uh, be uh, uh, open with yourself and realize that we all have this. But I remember back when I was in the Air Force, I was a, uh, a young airman, and uh, I'd just joined the military. I'd gone out of basic training and gone out of tech school. I'd been at my base for about uh, maybe, I don't know, six months or so, and I developed a relationship with another airman, uh, and, and we got uh, to be very close friends. It turned out that he was saved, uh, and, but he'd never uh, been to ch- uh, really church or, or grown up under uh, a good preacher or anything like that. He was already saved, but as a result of my relationship with him, he ended up coming to our church. We found an independent fundamental Baptist church near our base that we got connected with immediately and started uh, being going to, you know, three times a week, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and soul winning and being part of that. And we brought him and his wife along, and his wife got saved, and they both got baptized, and they started coming to church with us Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. We worked together. We were the best of friends. We were very close friends. To this day, you know, well, uh, they, they send us um, uh, uh, birthday cards or uh, Christmas cards or things like that. He's now a, an officer in the Air Force. And uh, I remember we were both these young airmen, and the way that there was this thing that they did at Travis Air Force Base where we were, where we were, uh, where we were uh, stationed at, that they would have a special award where they would find an airman and rank them up six months before everyone else. If your boss would submit uh, paperwork saying, hey, this guy's uh, guy a real good worker, he's got his uh, stuff put together, he's He's great. You would go before a board and they'd ask you questions. And if you won, if you won, then you would actually get ranked ahead of everyone else. And of course, everybody wanted this because you wanted to outrank your friends. And uh, my friend uh, that was in the Air Force with me, we actually weren't going up for this award at the same time. The way that it had worked out, he had joined the military just a 
few months before I had or something like that. And he was actually in the group that was six months before my group. So he went up for the award with a group of airmen six months before I was able to go up for the same award. We weren't even competing against each other. But I remember sitting there on the Wednesday night at church. I was in my uh, Air Force uniform. I'd driven straight from uh, the base to church that night. And my uh, wife had met me there. or We'd met somewhere on the way and we were in church. I remember sitting there on the Wednesday night, and watching him walk in, and he walks up to me, shakes my hand, and he said, I got it. I won BTZ. I, I got the award. And I remember just something so clearly in me. I don't know why. I'm ashamed of it. Something so clearly in me, I just felt kind of my heart drop. And I thought to myself, great. And here's the thing. I wasn't even competing with him. He didn't even beat me. I wasn't even going against him. I wasn't even up for the award. It wasn't even my time. But there's just something in you sometimes that just kind of gets upset when others succeed around you. The funny thing is that six months later, I went up for the award and won it too. And you know what's sad is that I feel the need to tell you that. That's sad. (laughs) I I feel the need to to tell you, hey, I didn't get left behind, right? Because of what? Because of the green-eyed monster. Because of the fact that there's this constant competition. We're constantly in competition with other people. And sometimes we feel like when God is blessing others, he's somehow hurting us. When someone else beats Goliath, that somehow makes it so that I'm lesser than or I'm not as good as or I'm, people are going to look down at me. But look, when people are saying that you've slain your thousands, that's pretty good, Saul. But you know, you know that you are suffering from the green-eyed monster when it upsets you that others are succeeding around you. Notice verse 8. And Saul's very wroth, and the saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed but thousands. Notice what he says. And what can he have more but the kingdom? You know, you can identify the green-eyed monster. You can identify the, uh, the, the green with envy developing in you. Number one, when it upsets you that others are succeeding around you. But number two, when you become insecure because of others succeeding around you. Here we have King Saul saying, well, they've ascribed to him 10,000 and to me, but thousands. And what can he have more but the kingdom? And all of a sudden, Saul becomes very insecure in his position because David got promoted, because David won a victory, because David got a raise, because David beat a, uh, beat a, uh, beat a giant. And look, here's, here's all I'm telling you. You say, how do I know when I'm green with envy? Here's how you know. When you become insecure in your position, when you become insecure in where you are in life, when you start to, to feel like, now I'm losing, now I'm not winning, now I'm going to be the loser, now I'm going to be the one that gets fired. Look, when you start feeling like you're going to get fired just because the other guy got the promotion, just realize this, you are suffering from the green-eyed monster. You're green with envy. You say, how can I identify it? When it upsets you that others are succeeding around you? When you are insecure because others are succeeding around you? Number three, notice verse 9. First Samuel 18 and verse 9. And Saul, notice this word, eyed. You could, you could if you don't mind writing in your Bible, you could write a little uh, arrow next to that word eyed and put green eye. And Saul eyed David from that day forward. 
And it came to pass on the morrow that the evil spirit from God came upon Saul, and he prophesied in the midst of the house. And David played with his hands as at other times, and there was a javelin in Saul's hands. Notice what envy will do to you. See, when you, you, you know that you are suffering from the green-eyed monster when it upsets you that others are succeeding around you. And you know that you are suffering from the green-eyed monster when you are insecure in your position because of the success of others. But thirdly this morning, you know that you are suffering from the green-eyed monster when you begin to attack those who who are succeeding around you. Notice verse 11. And Saul cast the javelin at David. For he said, I will smite David even to the wall with it. And David avoided out of his presence twice. And here's, and here's what you need to understand. He said, how, do, how could I know if I'm uh, suffering from the green eye monster? Well, are you attacking those who are succeeding around you? Are you attacking those who are winning Around you, go to Matthew, Matthew chapter 27, first book in the New Testament. It should be fairly easy to find. Matthew chapter 27. I believe that most of the gossip and slander that happens in the workplace, most of the gossip and slander that happens in churches is as a result of envy. We get upset and it bothers us that someone else is being blessed by God. That someone else is succeeding in life. That someone else has beat the Goliaths in their lives. And you say, well, Pastor Jimenez, why does it matter? Why can't I just be green with envy? Why can't I just be bitter and angry and upset at life? And it's just me. It's just the rottenness of my bones. Why does it matter? Why do we need a whole sermon on it? Here's why it matters. Because it never stays there. It never stays with that feeling of, ah, can't believe they got it and I didn't. They won and I didn't. They moved there and I didn't. They got the raise. They got the job. They got the position. They got the credit. They got, and I did. It never stays there. The problem with envy is that it will fester inside of you and it will come out in the modes of attack. And envy will destroy people's lives. And envy destroyed David's life and Saul's life. And there's a theme throughout the Bible that it destroys the lives of those around us who we are envious of. Are you there in Matthew 27? Look at verse 17. Matthew 27 and verse 17, the Bible says this, Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, This is Jesus being judged to be crucified. Pilate is in charge of, 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 of figuring out whether he should or shouldn't be crucified. And we know that Pilate will eventually be manipulated by the people to do something he does not want to do. And he goes again, uh, ahead and gives the, uh, uh, the, the go-ahead for the crucifixion of Christ. But notice what the Bible says. He says, Whom will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called the Christ? Now, Pilate actually attempts to get Jesus off the hook here. And he says, look, hey, Barabbas is a robber. He's a murderer. He's a real bad guy. Who would you rather that I uh, release, Barabbas or Jesus? Jesus, verse 18, for he knew that for envy they had delivered him. You say, why is it that the Pharisees conspired and lied against the Lord Jesus Christ and crucified him? One word, envy. Why is it that Saul made an enemy of David and ruined David's life where David had to run for his life, David had to flee and live in caves and live as, as, as a wanted man? One word, envy. Go to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. You're there in Matthew. Go to Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Acts chapter 13. Let me give you examples of this throughout the Bible. Acts chapter 13. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Acts chapter 13. Look at verse 44. 
Acts chapter 13 and verse 44 says this, And the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitude, notice, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. Why, why were the Jews filled with envy against Paul? Because the whole city came together to hear the word of God. Because Paul is being effective in his ministry. Because Paul was winning at what God had called him to do. And the Jews, the Bible says, they were filled with envy. Notice what they did. And spake against those things. Oftentimes when people are speaking against you, when they are gossiping about you, when they are slandering you, when they are tearing you down, it's one thing. It's just envy. And here's what you need to understand. And here's the point. It hurts them and it hurts you, soul. It, 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 you say, it hurts Jesus, but the Pharisees didn't win because Jesus died. The Jews didn't win because they caused problems for Paul. Do you know the names of any of these Jews? Do you know the names of any of those Pharisees? Did Saul win because Saul allowed envy to fester and to take control of his life? Look, with envy, there are no winners. Those who you are envious towards and those who are envious. Acts 17, look at verse 4. Let me give you another example. Acts chapter 17 and verse 4. Acts 17 and verse 4. The Bible says this, And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas. And of the devout Greeks, a great multitude, and of the chief women, not a few. He's winning. He's succeeding. He's getting people saved. Not a few people are coming to, uh, to Christ as a result of the ministry of Paul. Verse 5, But the Jews which believed not, notice, moved with envy took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sword and gathered a company and set all the city on an uproar and assaulted the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. And here's what I want you to notice and here's what I want you to understand. Envy never ends at just a feeling of envy towards something. It doesn't end with that feeling of, ah, it displeases me and it makes me wroth that they won. It never ends there. If envy is not dealt with, if envy is not taken care of, if envy is not uh, killed and defeated in your life, it will come out as an attack against those who you envy. And the funny thing is that it's often the people we love the most. And it's often the people who are doing the most for us. Saul, the king of Israel, turned his green-eyed sights towards the greatest military man he had. The greatest help he had. The most loyal person in his kingdom. The person who could have helped him accomplish what God had called him to do the most. He turned on him because of envy. And sometimes we turn on our brothers and sisters in Christ. And sometimes pastors will turn on pastors. And sometimes friends will turn on friends. And sometimes even spouses will turn on spouses because of the green-eyed monster. Go back to 1 Samuel 18. We talked about identifying the green-eyed monster in our lives. How can we know when that green-eyed monster begins to rear his ugly head? How can we know when we begin to be green with envy. Well, number one, you know that you are suffering from the green-eyed monster when it upsets you that others are succeeding around you. You know that you are suffering from the green-eyed monster when you are insecure because of others' success around you. You know that you are suffering from the green-eyed monster when you begin to attack, slander, gossip against 
those who are succeeding around you because they got the job, because they got the house, because they got married, or they had the child, or they got whatever you felt was coming to you, and they got it. And it somehow upsets you that God is blessing them. Now, here's the thing. Up to this point in the sermon, all we've done, all I've done is to help you identify the green-eyed monster in your life and in my life. And here's the thing. This sermon applies to all of us because every person here from time to time will deal with the green-eyed monster. You know it's true. You know it's true. This is why Facebook is so uh, popular today. Because we're all trying to show up the other guy. Because we all want to make sure that everyone thinks that I'm the best and I'm the greatest. That's why all these social media and posting your picture here and posting your picture there. Why? Because we want to make sure that everyone thinks that we've got the best marriage and we've got the most well-behaved children and we've got the most successful business and we've got it all going on. And you say, where does that come from? It comes from the green-eyed monster. In my life and in your life. So you say, Pastor, okay, well, how do we defeat it? How do we beat it? How do we kill the green-eyed monster of envy in our life? Well, here's what I'd like to do for just a few moments. I'd like to compare and contrast two characters in this story because there are two characters. There are are really three characters that are focused in this story that we've been looking at. So far, we've been looking at the King Saul, and we've been looking at the general or the warrior David. But there's a third guy that appears in the story, and his name is Jonathan. He is the son of Saul, and he is the prince who is in line to be the next king. Jonathan did not suffer from envy and did not suffer from the green-eyed monster. In the story, we have Saul, who's green with envy, and we have Jonathan, who is content and satisfied in his life. And I'd like us to just quickly compare and contrast these two men so we can see how to defeat envy in our lives. Because here's what we don't want. We don't want to have the green-eyed monster rule our lives. You say, okay, Pastor, you're right. I'm not going to admit it, but there's something in me that's kind of ugly when I think other people are being blessed and I'm not. So what do I do about it? Well, notice what Jonathan did. 1 Samuel 18, look at verse 1. And it came to pass when he, this is again David after killing Goliath, had made an end of speaking unto Saul. He just had a conversation with Saul about what happened. Remember, Saul we, we saw how he responded, green with envy, that the soul of Jonathan, notice how Saul's son responds, was knit with the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. We see here that Jonathan responded properly. Jonathan responded well to the success of David. And look, Jonathan was a warrior by his own right. Jonathan had won a great victory earlier in this book. We saw a great victory that Jonathan and his armor bearer had won in his own right. Jonathan, you can say, people say, well, well, Saul didn't volunteer to be Goliath. That's why he was envy. Well, neither did Jonathan. But yet Jonathan is happy for the news. Jonathan becomes and develops a friendship with David. Now, I want you to notice what Jonathan did. Go to 1 Samuel 19 and verse 4. Now, we, of course, have Saul, who's green with envy, angry and bitter, rottenness of the soul, rottenness in his bones, upset and mad at David. Notice what Jonathan does in verse 4, 1 Samuel 19, verse 4. And Jonathan spake good. (laughs) Don't, Don't miss that. Jonathan spake good of David unto Saul his father. 
and said unto him, Let not the king sin against his servant, against David, because he hath not sinned against thee. And because his works have been to thee word very good. Saul says, Jonathan says to Saul, uh, he says, Dad, David's the best thing you've got going on. Why are you mad at him? Why are you angry? Why are you so bitter? Look at verse 5. For he did put his life in his hand and slew the Philistine, referring to Goliath, and the Lord wrought a great salvation for all, all Israel. Notice what Jonathan says to Saul. Thou sawest it. Notice what he says. We, we get a little insight into uh, uh, the, the, the details of the story. Jonathan says to Saul, he says, Dad, I was there. I was with you. I was standing next to you. I saw you when, when David picked, when, when, he, when he slung the stone, when, when, John, when, when Goliath fell, when he picked up the sword, when he cut off his head, I was there. I saw it. You saw it. He says, Thou sawest it. Notice, and didst rejoice. Don't miss that. He said, Dad, you were there and I was there. When Goliath fell, we cheered, we clapped, we rejoiced, we were glad, we spoke well, until the green-eyed monster set in. Until the radio started playing, David had slain his ten thousands. We rejoiced. <laughs> and, 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 and Jonathan says, I'm still rejoicing. I'm still happy. I'm still celebrating. But something changed in you. Listen to me. Be very careful about the things you can't rejoice over. They identify a lot more about you and your heart. Be careful about the things you can't celebrate. They identify a lot about who you are and what's going on in you. You say, Pastor Jimenez, how do we defeat the green-eyed monster? Well, number one, learn to celebrate the success of others. You, you, you want to kill the green-eyed monster in your life? You will learn. When you get that feeling inside of you, when, when your heart kind of drops and you're like, ah, oh, he got the job, ah, oh, he got the promotion, ah, oh, she's now expecting, or they moved and now they're not living there. Or they, oh, you, you see them drive into, he got a promotion, now they've got a nice car. And it's like, ah, oh, when that happens, you say, what do I do with that? Here's what you do with that. You force yourself to walk up. You force a smile on your face and you say, congratulations. Amen. And you force yourself, and you learn to celebrate the success of others. You learn to say, I am so happy. Look, listen to me. You, you single people, you're, you're praying, and I'm praying with you as your pastor, that God will bring you to that place one day when, when you meet who God has prepared for you, and, and you find you know, Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright, and, 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 and you have your happily ever after, and, and I get that, and right now the days are lonely and the days are long, and you're just not sure if you're ever going to meet them. You learn to be happy for your friends when God blesses them with a spouse. You're waiting for a baby. You've been married for a while. It just doesn't seem like it's happening. And you've been praying and you've been thinking, you learn to be happy for your friends when they're expecting. You look, you, uh, 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 we started working together, my friend and I, and we both kind of had the same job, and now he got uh, promoted, and he got that job, and now they're moving out, and now they're not living in the same neighborhood that we're living in, and now they're driving a car. Look, you learn to be happy. Why? Because if you don't, envy will overtake your life, and it will destroy your life, and it will kill you. If you don't learn, if you don't learn to celebrate the successes of others. 
So you walk up and you say, I'm glad you got the job. I'm glad you got the promotion. And you don't do it sarcastically. You don't do it. You say, I am thankful that God has blessed you. And because God has blessed you, that doesn't take anything away from me. You say, how do you learn to defeat the green-eyed monster of envy? Envy. You will defeat the green-eyed monster when you learn to celebrate the success of others. You should pay close attention to the things that you cannot bring yourself to congratulate. You should pay close attention to the things that you cannot bring yourself to congratulate. You should pay close attention. You should pay close attention to the things that, you, that bother you about other people. Because they reveal a lot of who you are. Go to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. If you kept your place in Acts, I'm not sure if I asked you to keep your place there. I meant to. But if you kept your place in Acts, just right after Acts, you have the book of Romans. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. There is something about walking up to someone and saying, I am genuinely happy for you that just put a dagger in the heart of the green-eyed monster. So you must learn to celebrate the successes of others, number two. Or actually, you know what, Romans 13, let me show you this real quickly. Romans 13, verse 7, Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom is due, fear to whom fear. Don't miss this. Honor to whom honor. Look, it's okay to honor others. It's okay to honor other people. It's okay, and look, this is, this is everyone. You don't think pastors deal with this? You don't think pastors deal with the, you know, well, they, their church is bigger, they're accomplishing more, they're doing more. You know what? Just be okay with celebrating the successes of others and honor them if honor is due. Amen. Learn to celebrate the successes of others. Number two, go back to 1 Samuel 18. Keep your place there in Romans. We're going to come back right around that area. 1 Samuel 18. You say, how do I kill the green-eyed monster? Learn to celebrate the sex of others. Number two, get comfortable with who you are in Christ. Notice, notice what, what our, our, our uh, good friend Jonathan does. Look at verse 10. I, I'm sorry, verse 2. 1 Samuel 18, verse 2. And Saul took him that day and would let him go no more home to his father's house. Verse 3. And Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. Notice what, notice what Jonathan does. And Jonathan stripped him of the robe that was upon him. Now look, Jonathan had this robe on because he is the prince. And Jonathan takes off the robe that belongs to him because he's the prince. He stripped him of the robe that was upon him and gave it to David and his garments, even to his sword. Now don't, don't miss that. If you remember the story earlier of, of Jonathan as armor bearer, one of the issues that they had that they had limited amount of weapons. The only people that had swords, in fact, what we're told in that story, is that only Saul and Jonathan had swords. In fact, David goes to fight Goliath with no sword. He has to take a lion's sword to cut off his head. But here we have Jonathan taking his robe off and giving it to David, giving him his garments, even to his sword, and to his bow, and to his girdle. I want you to notice that Jonathan was comfortable with who he was in God. He was comfortable with the fact that, look, I'm the prince and I've been blessed and God has blessed me and I've not killed Goliath, but I have, you know, I have things that you don't have. And I've been blessed in ways that you haven't been blessed. 
And I'm not going to hold it against you that you slew Goliath. And you're not going to hold it against me that I'm next in line and that I'm the prince and that I've got all these things. He says, in fact, I am so comfortable with who I am. I'll even give you my stuff that identifies my position. See, how, how do people know that Jonathan was the prince? You know how they knew? You know how they knew? Because when he walked in, he was dressed like the prince. You know how they knew? Because he had a sword. And nobody else but the prince had a sword. You know how they knew? Because of how he was dressed and who he was. And, and Jonathan says, I am so secure in who I am that I'm even willing to give you what identifies me to celebrate you. Because Jonathan lived a life of contentment. He was not dissatisfied. He was not satisfied. He was not in competition and having to make sure, well, I'm going to have to go buy a better coat to look better than David. He said, no, David, you can have my coat. As we rejoice and celebrate you. So you know what? You need to get comfortable with who you are in Christ. You need, to be com- you need to get comfortable with who you are and how God has made you and where God has you and what God is doing in your life. Did you keep your place there in uh, Romans? Go to 1 Corinthians. Just right uh, next to Romans, 1 Corinthians 15. Look at verse 9. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 9. Notice what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians 15:9 says this, For I am the least of the apostles, that I am not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Paul says, I'm an apostle, but I'm the least of the apostles. He's like, I'm not, even, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle. Verse 10. But notice what he says. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. He says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And here's what Paul says. Paul says, I am comfortable with who I am in Christ. I am comfortable with who I am and where God has placed me, and I am so comfortable with it that I can even celebrate the successes of others. So how do we kill the green-eyed monster? Well, number one, you learn to celebrate the successes of others. Number two, you get comfortable with who you are in Christ. Number three, go back to 1 Samuel 23. 1 Samuel 23. Let me show you this. This is interesting to me. We're going to fast forward a little bit into the life of, of David and Saul and Jonathan. David has now been running from Saul for a while. He's been living in caves, and he's been living as a, as a wanted man. Jonathan makes his way to go meet him in the wilderness. Notice what the Bible says, 1 Samuel 23, verse 16. And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David into the woods. Remember, David is running from Saul. And strengthened his hand in God. And he said unto him, I want you to notice what Jonathan says to David. Fear not. For the hand of, my, of Saul, my father, shall not find thee. He's, he's trying to encourage him. And he's saying, hey, don't be afraid. You've been, you're hiding from Saul, my father. He's not going to find thee. Then notice what he says. Please don't miss this. Remember who Jonathan is. He's a prince. He is the next in line for the kingdom. His dad is actually mad at him. His dad has already spoken to him and said, don't you see that David is a threat to your position? I want you to notice what Jonathan says to David. He says, and thou shalt be king over Israel. He said, David, I know. I know that God, I I know that I'm next in line to be king, but I also know that God has purpose to make you king. I've, I've realized that. He says, thou shalt be king over Israel. Notice what he says, and I shall be next unto thee. And that also Saul, my father, knowing. You say, how is it that Jonathan lived such a life of contentment? You know what? He was confident in where God had him. 
Jonathan understood that if God wants me to be king, then, then I will be king. And if God wants me to be next in line for the king, then I will be next in line for the king. And if God wants me just to help the next king, then I will do that too. Because Jonathan was not only able to celebrate the successes of others, and he was not only comfortable in who he was in God, but he was confident in where God had him. And look, in my life and in your life, and we're going to talk more about this next week when we talk about keeping up with the Joneses, we need to realize that where we are is where God has brought us. What we have is what God has given us. And whatever amount of success or influence the Lord gives us, we need to be confident in that, that God has placed me here. Look, some of you are superstars when it comes to certain things, and praise the Lord for it. As a pastor, I need to realize, hey, I am confident in the position that God has given me. God has placed me as a pastor of Verity Baptist Church, and I will remain the pastor of Verity Baptist Church as long as God deems me fit. And it doesn't matter how good you or anybody else and how much better they are than me, this is where God has me. And you know what? Where God has you is where God has placed you. And you need to be confident in that. You need to not be insecure. But you need to celebrate the successes of others. Get comfortable with who you are and confident where God, where God has placed you. Go, back, go, go to Revelation chapter 3. This is the last place we'll look at. Revelation chapter 3. Here's what it comes down to. In life, we desire the accolades and the kudos and the approvals of others. Isn't that true? Accolades means to receive honor or praise. Kudos means to receive honor, glory, or acclaim. Approval means to receive commendation or praise. Here's what it comes down to. In life, in life, we want... The accolades and the praise, we want the kudos of others. We want everyone to acknowledge the fact that we are better than, we are richer, we are healthier, we are skinnier, we are living better. In life, we want the accolades of others. And this is why the green-eyed monster shows up, because when others seem to do better, then it hurts us. And it bothers us. And it makes us angry. But listen to me. As Bible-believing Christians, we must realize that at the end of the day, we cannot get our approval and our accolades and our kudos from men. Because those songs that those ladies sing, David has slain this, uh, Saul has slain this thousands, David has slain his ten thousands, they'll, they'll praise you one day and they'll curse you the next. They'll love you one day and they'll hate you the next. The, the esteem of man will be given to you and will be taken away as quickly as it's given. In, Re- in Revelation 3, we find a very interesting verse. Verse 14, we have, if you're familiar with the book of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3, Jesus is giving uh, letters. He's giving these um, words to these seven churches in Asia. And as he begins the letter, he describes himself in different ways. And in Revelation 3.14, he says this, And unto the angel of the church of the, of the Laodiceans write, These things saith, I want you to notice these words, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. In this 
verse, Jesus refers to himself as the Amen. Now, the word Amen means it is so. It means verily, truly, or so be it. Sometimes when I'm preaching, a man in the church might say, Amen. And what they're saying when they're saying that, they're saying, I agree. So be it. That's true. Let it be. So be it. It's used often after a prayer. It's used during a sermon. It's used during some, formal, some, for, some, some sort of formal statement to express solemn ratification or agreement. When I get up and I make a statement, we ought to go soul winning and someone says, Amen. They're saying, I agree with that. I'm for that. That's true. I say, the King James Bible is God's inspired and preserved word. Somebody says, Amen. They're saying, I agree with that. I'm for that. I ratify that. I'm, I, I, I approve of that. That's my approval. Jesus looks at this church in the, of Laodicea, and he's really saying it to all the believers. He's saying, I am the Amen. And here's all I'm trying to tell you, is at the end of the day, at the end of your life, when you stand at the judgment seat of Christ, there will always be, be one person who you want approval, uh, 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 accolades, and kudos from, and it is the Lord Jesus Christ. And it will not matter what everybody else said. It will not matter how successful you were. It will not matter how much money you had in your bank account. It will not matter the name brand of clothes you wore or the name brand of car you drove. At the end of the day, all that will matter is that Jesus looks at your life and says, Amen. Amen. I approve of you and what you did and who you were. And you know what? Jonathan never became king of Israel. But I believe that he stood before the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Lord Jesus Christ said, Jonathan, amen. Amen. So don't allow the green-eyed monster to take that from you. Because here's what I know. The green-eyed monster might push you and manipulate you to get the approval, to get the raise, to get the position, and to get the kudos and the accolades from everybody else except the one person from whom it really matters, the amen. So learn to celebrate the successes of others. Get comfortable in who you are in Christ and get confident in your position in Christ because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how high you go up that corporate ladder. It doesn't matter how big this church gets or little it is or how many subscribers we have or how much influence. None of that matters. All that matters is that Jesus looks us in the eye and says, Amen. 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 Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I believe that all of us from time to time struggle with this green-eyed monster of envy. He makes us green with envy. It's in our human nature. Lord, I pray you'd help us. Lord, I pray you'd help us to identify that thing inside of us that just doesn't want to celebrate others, doesn't want to congratulate others. It's bothered when others succeed, when they're promoted, when they get positions, when they get recognition. Lord, I pray you'd help us to learn to celebrate others, get comfortable in who we are, and grow confident in who you've made us. Because at the end of the day, all that matters is your approval. And others may say, well, he wasn't very successful. And it doesn't matter as long as we can find our satisfaction in you. Father, I pray you'd help us. Help us to identify 
and help us to defeat envy in our lives. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray.